Good morning, good morning. How is everyone doing this morning? Other than quiet. <laughs> Who was here last week? Didn't Andy just do a ridiculously good job? Oh my goodness me. I said to my wife, I said, after that, you go, I don't know what to preach, and I also don't want to preach. <laughs> it was incredible. But I just also want to honor Andy, um, because there's tremendous things happening uh, just all around. As, as you know, he oversees the office here at the church, and um, it is hard when you go from small meetings to instantly going to big meetings. And uh, Andy and I'm sure Camilla have been doing an amazing job of just staying positive, um, just, you know, leaning on God. And just to see Andy preach with such authority last week amidst all of the hardship of staff changing, volunteers, everything that you can imagine that goes on with mobilizing a church of this size, I just felt very privileged uh, to be on a team with him. Amen? Um, And obviously, Mike and Debs are not here. I think they managed to get away uh, this weekend. Uh, we've been trying to get them as much time as possible just to you know, recoup and rejuvenate for the next leg of the journey. Um, but I was, I, for what I prepared, I actually just thought I'm, for a couple of minutes, I just want to share my story about how I wound up here. Um, my parents led a church from the time that I was quite young. And uh, what happened was... When I was a baby, my parents got radically uh, saved into, into uh, Christianity. And, and so my parents were very passionate about trying to find God and all these things. And they visited palm readers and they, and they were trying all these mediums and witches. And they, and they were trying all these things to find God. And what happened was over the course of a journey is my mom was downtown uh, Toronto and sitting there and she could hear live music. And this guy approached her and said, do you like live music? Yes, I do like live music. And I was a baby. And, um, and, she sa- and the guy said, here's a free ticket. You can go check out the live music. Long story short, she goes there to see this live music, just her. And, and it's actually a, um, a church conference. And she hears the gospel and she gets radically, radically saved. All the, the questions that she had about God were answered. Things that didn't make sense, things that didn't line up, the deep, dark things in our, in our hearts that we are sometimes looking for answers for, she just found peace in. And then eventually my dad became a Christian as well. And it was this kind of spiritual warfare that took place over their lives as they turned their lives from their own agenda to God's agenda. And so my life was very much a life of growing up in a radical setting. We didn't listen to non-Christian music because for my parents, that was unhelpful. And I think for my parents, it was navigating how to raise children in a radical lifestyle when they were just trying to figure it all out themselves. And so for me, my faith journey began at a young age because of different influential people in the church, youth leaders, getting involved in music, and that's kind of how I stuck and managed to stay out of trouble. But over time, my heart grew pretty cold. I got offended in the church. And I struggled with sin, obvious sin. But it was through that course of that journey that I actually became quite bitter. And eventually it led to me struggling with deep depression for a few years. 
And I remember on a New Year's thinking, gosh, like, I, I hope I don't feel like this in a year from now. And I remember the following year thinking, oh my goodness me, nothing has changed. I'm still just as dark and depressed and pessimistic and angry and numb. We all know those feelings. And eventually, in a Hail Mary moment, I decided that I was going to leave Ontario and I was going to go somewhere else in Canada, wherever that might be. And it just so happened that I knew a couple of people here at Oceanside, um, Mike and Debs, who lead the church, who are not here. They were one couple that I knew, BJ and Ruth, and a, and a couple other a couple other people. And so on a whim, I called and I just said, "Hey guys, like I would love to come and move there." And my plan was that when I got here, I was going to avoid and hide from the church like the plague. I was going to lay low, do my own thing, continue in my sin, whatever it was. And so when I arrived, I thought more than likely I was going to just temporarily stay with someone in the church. I didn't quite know who. And we had touch base with Mike and Debs. And, and, and anyway, they said, yeah, just come on by. So my dad drove with me and then flew back to my mom, but drove with me, came across the ferry. And Mike and Debs said, yeah, just come on by. Come to our house. So I show, we show up at their house, and they've got this massive fifth-wheel trailer parked on their front lawn. You know, it's like, okay, well, whatever. And they come out and they welcome us warmly and they just say, you know what, Wes, you're actually going to stay here. We, we got a friend to bring a fifth-wheel trailer and park it on our property so you could live with us. But you're not allowed to leave food in there. We're not going to run water to there because you're going to come and be a part of our family. What chance did I have? What do they say? Keep your friends close and your enemies closer. <laughs> For a guy who was running from the church, God had my number. Yeah. And so that was my journey. Sunday mornings. Wes, are you coming? God. But as the story goes, eventually that knock was God's knock on my heart. That's the kingdom, isn't it? All of us coming together, not as this generic big blob of stuff, but as individuals, you and I, reaching out. And this morning, I have a question for you. And the question is this, what do you see? You know, God asked this question of Jeremiah, Amos, and Zechariah. It's, it's this question, and the reason he was asking this question is not in, in the, in the um, obvious sense, like when we think, okay, well, what do you see? Like, what's going on out there? What do you see? Because when, when we take this question, what do you see, and we put it to our, our, our culture, what does our culture do? We take what we see so that we can disqualify and reject, so that we can call out and even condemn. And we usually do it on social media, where we can really wordsmith it. I'm just going to go ahead and be that guy, and I just want to say how fed up I am with this. 
Who, who thinks they, who is this person that's leading our country? How dare they make us do this? How can you say this? Has anyone considered why this person is just so, right? And we've seen it and we've probably done it. But Jesus doesn't ask us the question of what do you see so that we can come up with our own little philosophical idea. And the question I want to put to you this morning is not what do you see culturally, but what is it do you think that God is opening up to you and saying, what do you see? When he said this to Zechariah and to Jeremiah, it was because God had opened up a picture to them. You see, God doesn't say to us, you go and do this. Why? Because I said so. But sometimes we feel like that's how God is. No, I think God is way more interested in relationship and interaction. So he opens a picture and he says, you know, it's like, it's like when you get your child a new toy and you just kind of lay it there and you're just like watching them just like figure out how to interact with this toy, how it works, how it moves, you know. And I just think God just saying, you know, Jeremiah, what is it? I'm going to lay this picture out. What do you see? In Matthew 22, it's a passage where Jesus is, um, has been, you know, just been gone through this amazing thing called the triumphal entry. We all know it. You know, he's just undergone about three years of ministry. And in this three years, he has seen the most crazy things take place. He's had 12 guys plus all these other people following him around and seeing people that couldn't see their eyes get opened. Seeing people that couldn't hear their ears get unblocked. Seeing people with shriveled arms and then all of a sudden they extend. People that are foaming, kids foaming at the mouth, freaking out and throwing themselves into fire and like, what is that? What is, what is going on there? And Jesus say, get out of that kid right now. And all of a sudden, that kid returns to normality. See, the, the political people, they didn't understand it. The ethical people, they didn't get it. And the religious people were like, is he from God or is he of the devil? But what we see in this passage in Matthew 22 is Jesus has just come into uh, Jerusalem on a donkey and people are saying, you are the son of David. In other words, you are actually the chosen one. You are the one that they spoke about all those years ago. You're here to save us. And we believe it so much. Let's get some palm branches. Let's take our clothes and lay them in front so that you can walk on our clothes to show you that we are actually worshiping you and honoring you and respecting you and deeming you as a king, as a powerful person. But then something happens after this exchange. Jesus throws a curveball. Jesus goes into the temple now you imagine if you're a political person, you're just, you know, when you see someone start to rise into a place of influence, you're kind of like, okay, what's the angle? What's the agenda? 
And then you think, oh, the political people, oh, he's religious. Yeah, he's just one of those raving religious lunatics and this. And then Jesus throws his curveball, goes straight into the temple and starts flipping tables and doing all these things in his own house. And you think, okay, I don't understand what's going on here now. Now we're certain he's one of the, the other guys that we weren't sure about. Yeah, they were in cahoots like last week and we think there's something there and it's... But they're all wondering what is the agenda of Jesus. And so what happens is three parties that disagree come together to try and get Jesus killed by, by tricking him and entrapping him. Isn't it amazing? Three parties that don't get along, that have different worldviews, decide that they're going to come together because Jesus is challenging every single worldview to its core. We have the Herodians. Now, the Herodians were, were being ruled at the time by the Romans. And when you're ruled by the Romans, it's not, being, it's not like being ruled by Canadians. It's like, come, please. Yeah, come right this way, please. Oh, did I step on your toe? I'm sorry. No, the Romans say it's my way or the highway. And so they, the Herodians had to pay taxes to the Romans. So every time they had to pay taxes, it was like a slap in the face. Sucker, look whose slave you are. So what's their angle? Well, Jesus, he might be the new king. If he's the new king, Jesus, tell us, is it right for us to pay taxes? Right? Now, the next group uh, were, were the Sadducees. And they were sort of like the wealthy, you know, people. They had their own little thing going on. They, uh, they didn't believe in the resurrection. So, so they come up and they say, Jesus, like, you know, let me, let me paint a scenario. Let me bring you a question that we, is, is one of those classic questions like, what came first, the egg or the, or the chicken? The chicken or the egg? So is it right? So if, if this guy, you know, is... Um, you know, if, if he dies and, and, and um, he's married to someone and then someone, he had, you know, technically he's supposed to marry the brother, so then they get married, but then they die. Anyway, this thing keeps happening. And I've heard it said, like, Jesus should have just said, then you should have asked, like, what's going on with that woman's cooking? But, 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 but at the end of the day, it's like, so what happens now? Like, there's been multiple. It's like seven brides for seven brothers. You ever seen that movie? And, um, but it's like, so whose will she be at the resurrection? Who's, who's going to be her husband if she's had seven? You know, let me trick you with an age-old chicken and egg question. And then, of course, the Pharisees. We all know the Pharisees. Religious, ethical, showy. Look how good I am. And their question is, tell us, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? And what's amazing is that Jesus has an answer for every single one of them. But Jesus asks something of them. And I'm amazed that every time we see these tactical interactions where people are trying to trick Jesus, are trying to get him to like, do you see the world the way I see the world? Do you have the same worldview as me? Jesus reminds them that there is a greater thing at play. And what Jesus does is says, I don't care about all these other things. That's just a layer. What Jesus is asking is Jesus wants to know something from you personally. You know, there's this interaction where Jesus is sitting around with his disciples. 
and they're trying to get a lay of the land. Jesus says, tell me, you've, you've seen these miracles. You've heard my teachings. You've seen, um, like, religious people get angry with me. You've seen political people get angry with me. You've seen ethical people get angry with me. Who do people think that I am? And that would, that would be a fun conversation, wouldn't it? It's like with the boys hanging out. Oh, I heard uh, someone, someone thinks you're John the Baptist incarnate. I heard that it was, uh, you know, someone else thinks you're Elijah. Back from the dead. Someone else is this. Someone else it's that. Jesus, great. What about you? Who do you say that I am? See, that is the question that each and every one of us have to answer in our lives. Jesus does not fit into your worldview. Because Jesus is your worldview if you are a Christian. The amazing thing that follows this story is this. Simon Peter, who's one of the more like zealous disciples, you know, like an eye personality a bit out, you know, and he says, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon Peter, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by God. If you are a Christian, and you remember back to when you became a Christian, when, when you were radically changed and saved and renewed. You might have felt like you were looking for God. But how many can relate to this feeling is that when you did meet God, you realized that actually he was the one looking for you. My question for us this morning is, what do you see? When God asked this question of the prophets of old, it was because he was revealing a picture in order to reveal a purpose. How many would say that there has been a shaking in our world? Doesn't matter what you think about it. There's been a shaking, has there not? But you know what? It's always interesting to me when the church gets shaken, like the world gets shaken. Because the Bible tells us, like God says in Haggai, and we hear it again in Hebrews, once again, I will shake all nations. Once again, I will shake all things. Why? So that everything that can be shaken will be shaken. So that the unshaken remains. Catherine came and shared a a picture this morning briefly. and just said, I have this picture about like, you know, that we have to look into the face of God and and, um, we just have to look. We have to see. We have to change our lenses. And it's... It's profound. She didn't know what I was preaching on, but I was talking about this. What do you see? The reality is, what have you seen over the last decade? What has changed in the last 16 months? Has anything changed? Or are we just right back to business as usual? Are we just right back to um, show up on a Sunday? You give me worship. You give me a sermon. I give you some offering. 
No strings attached. Or has God shaken some of those mindsets in us in order to take us to where we're supposed to go? Is it fair to say that spectator Christianity has been shaken a little bit over the last 16 months? Is it also fair to say that it's also become even easier? Couch, coffee. But is it fair to say that the light show and the action and all these things has been shaken in the last 16 months? have this amazing experience <clears throat> with our little baby boy. We just had a, another baby a few months ago, and, and little baby Gray, and he's young. And so, you know, if he's, if he's lying there on a whatever, and I can see him from far away, and, and then I'll walk over to him, but he's still learning to see, right? And I'll, and I'll get there, and I'll just kind of slowly go down and look onto his eyes and say, baby Gray. And it's the most amazing thing. Because what happens is, he'll be looking, he'll be looking, you see his, his pupils kind of dilate a little bit, and then all of a sudden, what's happening? He's realizing what he sees. This journey for us as Christ followers is learning what it is that we see. You may have been someone in the old days who said, oh, I can see the holes in that church. That's not where I want to be. I can see the holes in that church. That's not where I want to be. I can see that there's a, some, the, the walls are really low here. and That's not functioning, right? Those leaders are weird, whatever. But can I just say this? Is that when God says, what do you see? It's not so that you can be really good at self-preservation. As Christians, it's not our job to go and try and find beautiful gardens and go and live in those. No. As Christians, it is our job to see the graveyard and turn them into gardens. God shares this, uh, shows this amazing picture to another prophet. His, his name is Ezekiel. And he says, he, says, son, he says, son of man, what do you see? I see dry bones. Son of man, can these bones live? Only you know, God. Only you know. <laughs> you tell me. No, son of man. This is a partnership. Call these bones back to life. When Jesus said, Peter, blessed are you, for this was revealed to you not by man but by God. The amazing thing, like Andy preached last week about authority, is he instantly gives Peter authority. When we look into the face of Jesus, everything changes. There is nothing worse than a Christian who doesn't look into the face of Jesus and feels tremendous obligation and, per and pressure to fulfill a mission that they don't have God's love for. It's awkward, right? I'm saying it out loud, but we've all felt it, haven't we? 
Our, our, our gaze has shifted from the face of God and we've been overwhelmed by the work and it's, oh my gosh, the work is too great and we become like Martha is so worried and, and everything has to be just right and, and, and this and that. And, and yet Jesus says, no, my bride is going to be a bride that looks at me straight on in the face. Ephesians 1, Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus. He says this in verse 17, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. Sometimes as a Christian, we, we, we are quickly jumping to the hope. Quick, get me on the field. Get me out there. Let's do this. Let's do that. And, and, and it can feel like you're running on empty. Why? Because we haven't let the first part happen. We haven't allowed the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we can know him better to sink in. How easy is it in your life to function and serve someone when you genuinely love them? Even inconvenient things, you can dig deep, right? He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. And that word enlightened is the word photizo. It's where we get the word, our original word photo or photograph. But my question in that is, what do you see? What is the picture that God has put before you? We are in a season where things are ramping up again. Can I encourage you? This is not a season to look out and see everything that's wrong. This is a season where we have to open the eyes of our heart and say, God, where do you want me? There's gaps in this church. There's gaps in the city. And will you be someone who bridges that gap? Will you be someone who says, I can't, I can't look away. I can't look away. You know, I'm guilty of this. It's like, if situations are overwhelming, I'll look away. I'll feel like, oh man, I, the only way that I can handle this is if I look away. But I really feel like God's saying, no, don't look away. He has not called us to be spiritually blind people. That's the job of the devil, right? The God of this age has blinded those that don't believe. We, as Christ followers, are not called to live with a veil over our faces. You know that story of Jesus, you know, the Good Samaritan, you know? And the Jewish guy is late for church, and so he avoids the guy that's been beat up because he's going to be late for a meeting. You know, the other guy crosses the road and gets away. He doesn't want to get dirty, whoever. And then finally, the most rejected human being, the Samaritan, the Gentile, the person that God wouldn't be his first choice according to man. He's the one who stops, and yet Jesus says that's the one who fulfilled the law. Not a long message, but I have one more thing I want to share, and it's the story of the woman at the well. Because I believe that we as Christians, when we see the things that God 
as wanting us to see when the picture he's put before us, it opens up the people around us to see him. This amazing story where Jesus has been sharing with God's chosen people, the Jews, and um, his popularity is growing. You know, he's getting more attention than he should be getting this quick in his ministry. And so what he does is he's heading back towards Judea. And so they go through this, this area called Samaria. And Samaria was full of people that were unworthy. People that were like probably celebrating sin at a high level. Not God's chosen people, unqualified, undeserving, just like we all know we are now. And he's tired, and he's sitting at this well, the, the Jacob's well, and his disciples go in to get food in the village, and, and we know this story well. And what happens is this woman shows up with a jar, because she's there to, to fill her, her water jug, and she's going to take it back home. And they start this dialogue, Right? And in this dialogue, she's, Jesus says, can you give me some water? I'm thirsty. And he's not joking. He's thirsty. And she says, well, you know, and they're thinking like, okay, you know, for all the things that um, would have been going on in that day, cultural barriers, gender barriers, national, nation barriers, he's like, okay, like, can I have some water? So she's taken off guard. But what's interesting is that we read this story, I'm going to give you, Jesus says, I'm going to give you living water. I'm going to, you'll never thirst again. It's just going to be, you know, it's this and that. But I, and she's saying, but we're, you know, but we're not Jews and we know that we have to wait and we worship a God we don't know. And, and then he basically says, but I am the Messiah. In other words, the one that you do not know, you now know. And then Jesus says something to her. Go bring your husband, go bring your husband and come. And she says, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, you're right. You don't have a husband. You've had five husbands, and the man you're living with now is not your husband. Imagine putting everything you've done wrong like that. Wouldn't that be your worst nightmare if Jesus just read everything you did wrong? Oh, by the way, the six things that you did wrong... <laughs> So you're technically correct, but you're wrong. You know what's interesting to me is that she did not feel rejected. She must have been embarrassed, but she didn't feel rejected. She didn't feel judged. No, she felt seen. Because what she says when she goes back to the town, she says, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Think about that. How long did she live her life knowing that she'd been married five times? The person she was with, she was not married to. How many times in, in a day was she standing there and thinking, okay, let me serve the, my child well and let me be really polite in public and maybe this performance thing of we'll balance out in the end. Let me, let me try and be a really good person. Maybe it'll balance in the end. But you know what? She told on herself when she went back to her people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. You see, Jesus was setting her free. It was the deep, dark secret she was hiding. And Jesus says, I know the deep, dark secret that you're hiding. In other words, 
The thing that you think is everything you've ever done, I see it. And I redeem it. When she realized that Jesus could see her in her darkness, she was not afraid to turn to his light. God is coming back for a church that is not afraid to reveal its darkness in order that it can receive his light. God is reminding his church that he is showing you pictures and things, and he doesn't want us to be willfully blind. He doesn't want us to turn a blind eye to what's going on, but he wants us to go out with the worldview that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus Christ is our worldview. Jesus Christ is the only plan, and no government, no sexual identity, no plan of anyone is going to win souls back to redemption in Christ like meeting Jesus Christ our Savior. That is the only thing. But where does Jesus stand on this? No. Where do we stand with what he said? 